the presiding bishop was supposed to act in, in that fashion as well. Now, to be perfectly candid, the tension in, as to how that should work, what are the relationships between the diocesan bishops and those that are over them? Because really, a, a bishop is a bishop is a bishop, and, and you know, you, you know, as uh, uh, you don't want to be interfering in, in the business of another bishop. That's inappropriate, right? But at the same time, you have to have accountability. We never did resolve that problem completely. We, we wrestled with it at, at, at one level or uh, another. Sometimes, I have to admit, my, and I can only speak for myself, I cannot judge my brothers at all. I don't even not know what my brothers all did. I know that I sometimes, as bishop, overstepped my authority. Did something, said something that was perhaps inappropriate and could have been and was in some instances hurtful. That's when I got called down. Part of that was youthful inexperience, frankly. Didn't know what to do. So, you know, you pull out a hammer when you should just pull out a velvet, you know. I don't know uh, what my what happened with my brothers in that regard, but the point is, you know, someone could say, "Well, you had an inappropriate expression of authority in your churches," and the answer I'd have to give is, "We probably did, at some some place or another." But that does not invalidate the principle of authoritative serving leadership. In the Orthodox Church, well, in our archdiocese, guess who's in charge? Metropolitan Philip is in charge. Or Bishop Joseph in his diocese is in charge. What do you do? Well, you do whatever the bishop wants. <laughs> but why do we do that? Because we expect that the Spirit of God will be working through the leadership that he has ordained and established in the church. And we believed that in the, in the EOC, and we wanted to live according to that. Now, we actually even followed principles like St. Ignatius, uh, for example, in his letters, says that marriages should be related to the bishop and have the bishop's approval. Did you know that? Read the epistles of Ignatius. And so we actually believe that. And so what we, what we did was encourage people to, when they were considering the most important decision in their life, outside of following Christ, to not make that decision by themselves, to discuss that with their presbyter, with their deacon, with their, with their bishop, and to have the, and in fact, that's what the marriage ceremony sacramentally performed by the church is supposed to be, the blessing of God and the church upon this couple being together. You know good and well there are people that shouldn't be married. I can think of one situation where I re refused to perform the wedding. They went ahead and got married anyway. And within five years, child sexual abuse, alcoholism, and divorce. And I knew it at the outset. Told them that at the outset. This is not going to work. But you see, did they have the freedom to go ahead and marry? Sure. What am I going to do? But as a pastor, we believed that we could not not tell them what the wisdom and guidance would be for that situation. Now, 
could, would it be possible for someone to transgress so far that they put themselves out of the church? Yes, indeed. And there were generally three circumstances in which someone, someone would be excommunicated. Number one, immorality, unrepentant immorality. Someone's committing adultery, and they don't stop. That's, you cannot continue to have that, uh, especially in a tight-knit community, you can't allow that to continue. It will, it will destroy the whole fabric of, of, of things. Secondly, heresy. A person teaching something that is outside the bounds of the historic faith. Arius, as the example in the you know, First Ecumenical Council or something, those people can't be allowed to teach. Unrepentant, see, of course, repentance is the key to everything in life. If you're wrong and you repent, thank God. If you, however, persist, then there might have to be a separation of the ways. And the third thing was factiousness. That is where a person would be trying to create a party within a group to try to get their own way with political power and, and things like that. And, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about that after a second warning, let them go. Now, we did run those things by Bishop Maximus, Bishop Anthony, who are Greek Orthodox bishops in the 1980s, and other uh, Orthodox theologians, and we were told that that is indeed Orthodox practice. And in my understanding, that still is Orthodox practice on, on those, those issues. But between fear, our own mistakes, and sometimes misunderstanding, this characteristic was the thing that people grabbed a hold of and said we were cultic. In the newspaper articles that I mentioned yesterday where I got blasted in, uh, one of the questions that was asked of one of our members, Jim Long, who is now a member of a church in Memphis, Tennessee, the question was, would you have to ask the bishop if you were going to have, have a child, if you wanted to have a child? They were newlyweds. And Jim's answer was, I think so. <laughs> and that's what they, and then, but it was portrayed as, see, they have to ask the bishop if they're going to have a child. Now, what Jim meant by that was, you know, we're newlyweds and we've got a lot of things we're trying to work through and it might not be the best idea for us to have a child just yet. We might want to, you know, wait a little bit. We're only 21, you know, that sort of thing. And that's all Jim meant. But that was portrayed as we're telling people when to have babies. Actually, it got so bad that we were accused of telling people when to have sex. Bishop Anthony of San Francisco came to our uh, Holy Synod in 1984 and it was like somebody had been prepping him or something. You know, he'd been reading documents. He came in and, you know, we said, do you have any questions for us? And he said, are you telling your people when to have sex? <laughs> and we all just started laughing, you know, as if you could tell, you know, stop that. You know? Now the, the the fact is there is a there is a tradition that uh, on, at certain times you abstain from sexual relationship before you take communion, for example, or uh, during 
a fasting season by mutual consent. But, you know, that's just, that just craziness. Authoritative serving leadership. And I, I still believe, we still believe that there needs to be authoritative serving leadership in the church. Yeah, Father Mark. Are you going to say what else Bishop Anthony did during that uh, meeting? First thing he did, he came, remember, pulled on everybody's beard. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to make sure they were real. <laughs> Bishop Anthony, uh, yeah, Father Mark said the first thing that Bishop Anthony did when he came in was to pull on our beards to see if they were real. I guess, you know, there is tradition, of course, that Orthodox priests and, and bishops wear beards. And... <laughs> <laughs> he was a unique character. <laughs> it's just um, <laughs> all right. 